Ladies and gentlemen, this is El Cochino, Tom Lawler, and I'd like to welcome you to the podcast that puts the lotion on its own skin, Lucha World. Bitchin'. Welcome everyone to Lucha World Podcast, episode number 107. This is Fredo Esparza. Uh, this week we're just going to talk about the, you know, the passing of Silver King and remember his a little bit about his life and his career over the years because he had a very long career in, in Lucha Libre. Uh, but I guess first we could we should start talk, talk about his his um, his passing. Um, Silver King died on Saturday, May 11th. After he suffered a heart attack during a match in London, he was having a match with Juventud Guerrera when um, suddenly he just, they were kind of like, you know, he I think he hit a clothesline on, on Juvi and he went for a pin and then like Juvi kicked out. Silver King kind of struggled to get up and then he kind of like slouched back down. And from that point forward, it pretty much was a little, uh, you know, it seemed like an eternity what was going on because you know, you had Juventud and the referee, who was Black Terry, um, trying to figure out what was going on with um, Silver King. Uh, he kind of tried to get up, and then all of a sudden, he just slumped back down, like I said. And, you know, Juvi went in and kicked him, and then he tried to turn him over to get the pin, and he kind of, it took him a little while to turn him around, got the pin. I think Black Terry kind of, like, paused at the at the at during the count, and it kind of it kind of looked really bad that whole the whole closing moments of that of that match and then you know what followed afterwards kind of seemed like i said seemed like an eternity for them to get get any sort of help for silver king in the ring unfortunately they weren't able to help him out i mean there's some reports that said that he pretty much was dead in the ring by that point as the you know they had the fans leave they stopped them they stopped the show um they had the, they asked the fans to leave and a lot of the fans who were there, a couple of them were talking about how they just saw that it was pretty, pretty bad. They saw that he was, um, Silver King was gasping for air and then suddenly he was unconscious. Um, a few of them said that it was at least three or four minutes where he was just unconscious before somebody actually showed up to like help him out. There were, there have been some reports that they didn't even, they didn't have a doctor in the, in, in, you know, for that, for that show or paramedics. That happens a lot on independent shows. So, I think, I think that's gonna. It's. I don't know if it. You know, honestly, I think a lot of people immediately started talking about. Oh, they're gonna get in a lot of trouble. I think that was the first reaction of a lot of people, um, privately and a few publicly. Uh, but honestly, I mean, I think wrestling deaths. We've seen it in the past. Wrestlers have died in the ring. Wrestlers have died, you know, in a, in in some very questionable circumstances. And usually, what happens is the. The, the mainstream media you know talks about it for one day and then forgets about it and then the fans you know honestly a lot of the fans rustlers people involved in the business they kind of forget by the by the time this you know within a week they're pretty much already or less than a week they're already done moving on to the next thing and i kind of feel that this is probably going to end up what's going to end up happening with this as well um as i said it happened in london also the the show was actually being live streamed on el hijo de santos 
Facebook account. So I think that might I think that that footage that show might still be on the on his account. Um, I know a lot of people started like getting that that match, clipping it and putting it onto all these social media accounts, YouTube, um, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, everywhere. Not just fans, but you know the media, people who you know people who you know love to make money off of this stuff like this, and you know or you know like to like. I don't know. Some people just don't really care about. They they have a completely different view of of this sort of situation. They they they'll give you the 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 excuse of it being news. There's already been some talk about what happened afterwards. A lot of people have been blaming, you know, everyone from Juventud Guerrero Guerrero to the referee Black Terry to the promoters, the Lucha Libre London, the Lucha Libre World Promotion. Um, you know, El, El Hijo del Santo, Cassandro, everybody's getting a little bit of blame out of this. Um, Hijo del Santo was interviewed by Medio Tempo, and he kind of said that um, they tried their best to help him out. That they had the, they had the proper, they had the proper, they did the proper procedures to help him out, and they were just unable to revive him. And you know, he talked about how at no point during that time did anybody leave his his side, Silver King's side. And, you know, you did see a lot of the wrestlers go up there and check on him. But, you know, honestly, I, I don't really know. I, I think that's the one thing that everybody kind of like, they want answers. They want the, a possibility of this probably never happening again or shouldn't have happened. And honestly, you just don't know that this sort of thing, you know, stuff like heart attacks, strokes, seizures, anything like that. You never know if it's going to, if, if it, when that's going to happen. And unfortunately, it happened to Silver King during a match and, you know, I think a lot of people were talking about how um, the the Jerry Lawler incident in um, on WWE Raw when he suffered a stroke and they were able to get people there to help him. I mean, you 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 can't really compare WWE, which has you know it's a, a company with a lot of people involved, you know, a lot of employees, a lot of you know they have a lot of people there that are there to help to an indie promotion. Honestly, it's not. I think that was always one of my concerns when I thought about promoting. I always thought, you know, what if somebody, nothing this drastic, but more like what if somebody breaks a leg or breaks an arm? Um, what would I do? And I always thought, you know, I would be so petrified. I, I don't know. And plus the insurance and all that. I just thought, you know, it's not really, you know, the amount of money that you make running indie wrestling shows, it wouldn't have been worth the risk, you know, the possible risk of something like this happening. And I think you have a lot of like, I know like when I would go to roller derby, um, with Kurt, we would go to the roller derby, and they always had um, paramedics there, an ambulance, and you'd see a, a paramedic there. You know, and for, he had to sit through and watch the entire, um, you know, roller derby. But he was there, and you know, I don't know. Maybe I think I think I I I think there are a handful of wrestling shows that actually do have. Um, they'll get like a doctor or a paramedic, but I I can't I can't really imagine that being something that, you know. When you're trying to get to the bottom line of actually making money or, you know, paying the wrestlers off, I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's even possible if you're going to pay a doctor and all that, and you know, and having the proper insurance and stuff like that. That's going to be another thing if they have insurance for this sort of thing, because it's gonna, it's. I think it's going to be some. I think there's the possibility, possibility that it could be a messy situation, but at the same time, like I said, wrestling, wrestling for whatever reason, you know, something tragic happens. Within a week, it, it pretty much gets forgotten. Look at the whole Paraguayo Jr. thing. When he passed away in the ring, uh, when he had that situation in the ring, and, you know, a lot of people pretty much said he was, he, was, he, was, he was dead before he arrived to the hospital. And they everybody was, like, clamoring for, you know, changes, the commission, all these things they were going to do. And honestly, I don't, I, I don't think anything really changed. And, I mean... Honestly, this this sort of thing is going to just, you know, you just have to hope it doesn't happen too frequently or if it, it, hope it never happens again. But, you know, like I said, it's happened over the years, not even in the last several years. I mean, we've had wrestling deaths going back to the, you know, the, you know, when Ted DiBiase's father died, Mike DiBiase from a heart attack and all these other wrestlers that auto died years ago. So, you know, it's not it's not something that I think it's been infrequent. But it's going to happen. I think right now it probably becomes a bigger deal just because there's so much news. News comes out so much quicker that people immediately, especially online, they they immediately want to like blame somebody. 
And, you know, sometimes, I mean, we don't even know. I mean, for all we know, um, Silver King could have had, you know, he might have felt sick at one point, didn't think it was anything bad and continued on. Uh, we don't know. I mean, I mean, how many of us have actually like dealt with, you know, like I've known people who have like said, you know, I've had issues with my, um, you know, I've been feeling sick, feeling under the weather. Um, you tell them, hey, you should go see the doctor. And, you know, the first thing they say, ah, you know, it'll pass and they won't go. And, you know, that that kind of that kind of that's kind of something that could you know honestly i just i just don't really have a definitive answer and i think everybody wants an answer and you know you're just this is just something you, you know it's unfortunate and i think i think the, the the one thing i will say is that i think i wonder if they would have had a more experienced referee because i think a lot of people were blaming you know black terry being a ref being the referee in the match um black terry is in a an ex he he has refereed in the past, but he's not somebody who does it frequently. And maybe like somebody who, and honestly, I mean, he's a wrestler first. I'm sure he was probably thinking more as a wrestler and probably didn't think it was anything as bad as it poss as it turned out to be. You know, maybe if it was just a regular referee who just noticed it and was already accustomed to like having, you know, injuries happen during a match, uh, maybe he would have done something a little bit quicker. Uh, we don't know. I mean, I know a lot. Of, I, and, you know, I, I could see people, I could see both sides, people blaming people. And at the same time, some people kind of just saying it's part of the risk of being in, in pro wrestling. You always get that, that there's so many um, phrases that luchadors use. Like, you know, you, you, you climb into the ring but you uh, to wrestle, but you sometimes don't know how you're going to come, you know, get down from the ring. Uh, you also have the one about um, dying in the line which is the one I really like everybody I mean, Nero Casas tells me that whenever I interview him it's always or talk to him that's like one of the first things he tells me and it's like you know you just think man I don't, I would not imagine that would not be my phrase when it comes to um my career I mean first thing you want to do is like spend you know you got to think about your family and stuff like that so um, but you know they don't say it because of that it's more just a phrase that they say it's 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 just something that they, they they've grown accustomed to say and it isn't something where like, oh, yeah, we we hope this happens or whatever, um, or it's going to happen or they're predicting it. It's more just, you know, it's part of their part of their job, really. I mean, you never know. And, you know, sometimes you see guys who have freak accents like, I mean, breaking their leg, climbing into the ring or, or you know, stuff like that. You just you just never know. Um, and it's it's unfortunate. And this was something that I I mean, honestly, you don't really know if this could have been like I said it could have been I don't know if exactly how how preventable this could have been I think he probably could have gotten a little bit uh, they could have assisted him a little quicker um, especially if you watch the video I think that's something that a lot of people are gonna have, have been questioning um, because it really took them a little bit longer than it, it should have um, I've seen other I've seen guys who land on their like on their heads on indie shows and like within not only is the referee and the and his opponent checking on him but you have a lot of the the you know you have people like the promoter showing up for checking him and you know whoever's there that's that's available that can help they're there right away checking on on the wrestler but you know this kind of seems like they went the, the the reaction time was a little slower i think that's the only thing i kind of my only complaint about the entire situation um how it was handled uh, but you know silver king had an amazing career um, Cesar Gonzalez, you know, it. I I was telling Kurt Brown like right after this happened how much I, I dislike writing obituaries for wrestlers just because I know, you know, people. That's something that people enjoy reading because that's the one time, you know, I I actually like write about an entire career of a wrestler, um, or anyone who does that has the time to write about the entire career of a wrestler. Meltzer's done that, does that all the time as well. And, but at the same time, it's like you're writing it at a time when the guy's, you know, you know, someone dies. So there's there's a bit of a, a sad, there's a bit of a, dis, a sadness and, you know, you know, gloominess to it that that affects the that probably affects me a little more than anything. You know, just just writing it is a, a little bit difficult. Um, but overall, I thought Silver King overall had an amazing career. Uh, he started back in 1980, November 1985. Um, as El Invasor, but he only lasted briefly at, under that name, I believe. Um, he immediately he immediately got his name changed um, by 
Grand Marcus who trained him. Uh, for those who don't know, Silver King is actually also the the, the son of a legendary wrestler, um, Dr. Wagner, and the younger brother of Dr. Wagner Jr. You know, so he comes from a very, very um, recognizable family in Lucha Libre. I wrote a whole bit on, um, on the website. You could read it on LuchaWorld.com. Uh, but, you know, he actually, you know, his father and and also Grand Marcus had a, a, an involvement in his training. Um, Grand Marcus actually gave him his the, the name Silver King. Um, I thought, I you know, I, I, I actually was wondering how he got the name. And I was expecting like this long story about how he, you know, they took months of deciding the name and everything but it only it turned out one day um it was a name grand marcus i guess must have had in his in the back of his head and when a wrestler no showed uh once when a wrestler no showed he just asked silver um silver king cesar to wrestle the to wrestle and gave him the name silver king and he was like okay so i think he gave him just a, a regular mask and afterwards um Angel Azteca was work, was wrestling in the Torreon region around that time also. And he was also a mask maker. And he was the one that made the mask for um, Cesar, the Silver King mask, uh, which was a combination of the Solitario and Kato Kung Ling mask, uh, which also has, if you notice it, as it adds Aztec designs to it, it actually comes from the Angel Azteca care, uh, mask. Some of that came into it. Um, you know, Silver King had said that him and um, his entire family, his dad, his brother, they all are very traditional in the whole, you know, remembering the Aztecs and all the, their past, their ancestors and stuff like that. So they've always liked to add elements of the Aztecs and stuff like, you know, stuff that, you know, represents Mexico. So and you do see that a lot with um with both of them over the years, especially Dr. Wagner Jr. later in his career when he started adding more um, of that to his mask. Uh, so. You know, very early on, Silver King was a really excellent worker. Um, I think a lot of people, most of us, most fans probably, probably, most fans probably remember him from his time in um, WCW, and that's really where a lot of us first heard of him or even saw him. And you know, he was already really, you know, even before that, he had such a great career. But one of the things you notice is that he's a he's a smallish, you know, luchador. A lot of people were saying like he's a heavyweight, and but he was, I don't think he was that tall. Um, but he was very, you know, he was very built, you know, stocky build. And the other thing he was, he was really like athletic for a guy, his size. Um, I think he was more of that look kind of like the, kind of like what the Brussels were like before they got gained, before they gained a lot of weight, um, where they were just really just, you know, big boned, big guys who could just like move around, do cartwheels, do a lot of athletic stuff. Um, do dives and stuff like that. And that's pretty much what Silver King was like, even at a young age. Um, very highly thought of by the by the um, UWA promotion. Um, Francisco Flores was a big fan of um, his work, and that they really were the, they really started pushing him, um, in, and they got him into a feud with El Hijo El Santo. What I found really interesting was that he actually worked before that, before the big mass match. He actually went on a tour of all Japan pro wrestling as Dr. Wagner. Um, I don't even think it was Dr. Wagner Jr. It might've just been Dr. Wagner. Um, and he worked as under that character for a month. And, you know, it, it, it's kind of something that a lot of people kind of forget. I don't even know if there's footage of him working, um, working in 1987 in, in all Japan. Um, that'd be something worth looking for. Maybe that should be in our Holy grail of, of Lucha to, to look for. Um, but his, he had a big mask match very early in his career with Elijo El Santo in 1987. He lost his mask. Um, and, you know, honestly, like, I think a lot of people probably at that point didn't even realize he wrestled under a mask. And he, I mean, cause he lost it at eight, at the age of 19. Um, so, you know, very early in his career before he even became like a known, you know, wrestler out, you know, nationally, even in Mexico, um, he had already lost it. And, you know, from that point forward, I mean, they just really pushed him in, in with the UWI LLI promotion, um, El Toreo, better known as El Toreo. I'm just going to call it El Toreo because it's so much easier to call it El Toreo. Um, and right away, they, um, you know, at around early 90 or late, late, 80, late 89, early 90, um, 
the Misioneros were pretty much already broken up. I think Negro Navarro and um, Signo were teaming up with Black Power or something like that. And um, so Tejano was on his own, and they decided to put him with Silver King and form the tag team of Los Cowboys, which was one of the probably one of the best tag teams. One of the best tag teams are probably the most, one of the most underrated tag teams of the 1990s. Um, really fun tag team. Um, they were just really, they worked a style that was very rugged because the independent, the independent style in Mexico, it's very more um, aggressive, rugged, um, a little more brawling in it. Um, now, you know, there's a lot of more, you know, it's, there's a different type of, you know, when you think of brawling back then, it wasn't what it is now with chairs and shit like that. Um, but these guys were more uh, what you call the brawlers of that era. Um, and they they not only did that, but they also combined a lot of... They, they could work technical wrestling, and they also knew how to do high flying. Um, they, were, they worked a faster pace. That was another thing. The the Toreo guys worked a faster pace. CMLL is mostly... is more of a, a... They work more of a traditional style. It's a little slower. And if you look at CMLL over the years... Even in the last 20 years, you kind of notice like there's a couple of breaks in between where suddenly they're working a faster style. Like when Sombra was there, Masca Dorada, Mystico. During the Mystico era, it was a faster style. It was a, a far faster style. But then, you know, then all of a sudden you still see some of the guys, like a lot of their students. If you look at the, the guys who come out of CMLL or the guys who were there before the Mystico era, they kind of want to stick to the same old style. So you see a lot of guys who aren't as exciting. Um, you might even say they're a little boring, but just because it's a completely more, uh, a slower pace to their to their work, it's a traditional style that they, they use. Um, you could tell right away, like if you look at the young guys who, who came up, like Audaz, Templario, and then you look at like Atlantis Jr., um, some of the guys who are basically trained in, in CML, you kind of see that their their style is a little bit like if you look at like the Atlantis Jr. and some of the guys who came in through CML school or through guys who were trained in CML, you kind of get a, a slower style or a, a more traditional style. So you don't really get a lot of the 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 high flying or the spectacular stuff. You know, they're still able to do some. They start learning that stuff later on in their careers. But then, like, if you look at Templario and Adaz, they were trained, like, not just in the in Arena Mexico school, but they were trained, like, you know, by somebody outside of it. Templario by Ultimo Guerrero and the, the guys from that, from, you know, who work a little bit more of a, you know, the Laguneros are, are a lot different the way they work compared to what the CML guys do, like the, the, the traditional guys. Like, if you look at the... Like I said, if you look, just look at, you can just see the difference. If you watch the undercard matches, just watch how boring some of the undercard guys are, and you'll figure out who I'm ta- I'm referring to, like the guys who kind of stick to the the traditional style. But um, yeah, like Cowboys worked a really di- a really um, rugged, fast paced, you know, style. They were nicknamed Los Efectivos because every move they they did. They made sure that it came across as being very effective in what it was going to produce or what it was going to do. Um, they were very good, you know, not just at doing dives, but they could catch guys. They were good bases. They weren't. They were just. They were just like guys who went one hundred percent, didn't stop, and um, you know, and that that was a style that was totally different to what you see from the from a lot of the CML guys, especially during that era. If you look at from like especially when the breakup with triple a happens you see a lot of guys it becomes more of a a, a style that is more of like the massacres um Pierrot, a little more of a brawling slower style um so these guys were working at a completely faster pace they wrestled everywhere i mean uwa they were the tag champs um they were wrestling in japan for hamada um you know then they actually even they even worked in um in wcw they had one match they were called the Silver Kings, and they worked against the Fabulous Freebirds in the I think it was the NWA World Tag Team Tournament. Imagine that they had the they actually brought in like WCW. This is early '90s WCW. This just tells you how different it got later on because later on, at least WCW had the common sense to bring guys in more frequently. But they brought in these guys, and they only had them work one match, and that was it. Never brought them back again. Um, and you know these guys were freaking awesome. They were working with like tag teams like the Can Am Express, the the Headhunters, 
um, they had a lot of variety. The, the main event guys in, in, you know, in UWA, you know, if there was a combination available, they would work that combination. Um, then, like, I think in with UWA kind of dying down, um, it, two things happened kind of at the same time. AAA was formed, and then UWA was also starting, you know, to die down. So what happened was UWA and CMLL with with CML losing a lot of talent because of um, of the AAA breakup, the guys leaving to join AAA, they needed talent, so they brought in a lot of the guys who were in UWA. Um, you kind of see like Black Terry, like some of the tem- like Black Terry, Los Temerarios. Um, they kind of re gimmicked and brought in, um, you know, Black Ter- Black Terry doing the Garo Maya Maya character. Uh, then you had kind of like the other guys. Um, Silver King kind of pointed out at one point in an interview that, you know, you had you had really f- four guys who came in from UWA that kind of changed the style for CMLL. And that was obviously himself, um, Tejano, Nero Casas. And I think there was a fourth guy. I can't remember who the fourth guy was, but he was talking about how there was four of them. They changed the style and they, they were a little bit more of an aggressive style. And he was talking about how, you know, you had you had some guys in in CML who could work that style like La Fiera was more of that of that style but then he said you had a lot of the guys who were a little bit more of a you know they were working slower um, they even brought back Anibal if you guys remember they brought back An- An- Anibal without his mask and that was that wasn't that wasn't good um, but you know they had Vampiro also who was very very green at that point in his career and but you know they drew a lot with him but you know so you know Tejano and Silver King come in to CML and they start you know they they, they really did a good job there they won the CML World Tag Team titles um, while in CML they also started working um, with uh, Victor Quinones in Japan they worked the Wing promotion I think they might have worked a couple of shows for in Wing but then when um, Quinones and another person started um, the IWA the IWA Japan promotion that's where Tejano and, and Silver King joined um joined that group and that's where really i think a lot of people i mean if you were a tape trader during the like i would guess mid 90s to late 90s um you were probably trading for iwa japan stuff just because they had a lot of death matches um you had you know cactus jack there you had nightmare freddy um you know the gilberts being early on in that in that promotion terry funk being there um it was more of a death match promotion but the undercard they had a lot of um they had a lot of influence from Lucha Libre and, you know, a little bit more of um, the athletic junior heavyweight style. So you were getting a little more variety with um, with Silver King and Tejano versus the Headhunters. Uh, you know, they the, against certain Japanese wrestlers or any luchadors that would fly in and, to work for them. Um, so there, there was a little bit more of that. Uh, but, you know, they were, they were splitting their time between that. And then Silver King kind of... They also added, um, in CMLL, they also added El Dandi as the third member of the Cowboys. Um, you know, around this time period, Chris Jericho was working for for um, CML also. Um, they had a little bit more of a they had a little they had a few more international wrestlers as well because they had um, Miguel Perez from Puerto Rico. I think Ricky Santana was also working there at that time as well. So you had a lot more variety in CML. Um, that was the one thing that happened when when um, when AAA took so much of the talent. AAA kind of went more with the entertainment, the flashier characters. Um, they also got a lot of the the younger guys who were really um, spectacular, like Rey Mysterio, Psychosis, Juventud Guerrera, because a lot of people don't realize like Juventud Guerrera was was going to work for CMLI at one point when this breakup happened, uh, when this split happened, he ended up going with um you know with the the AAA people. Same thing with La, La Parca, LA Park. Um, he was set to debut with um with with CMLL and he ended up re debut. He was going to be, he was going to debut there. I think he was going to debut as La Parca. But uh, when this happened, he ended up going to, he ended up following um, Pena and all those guys for to AAA. Uh, but with CMLL, they kind of went with more of a, a weird mix of, you know, the, the former ex UWA guys joining in. And then they had a lot of the international guys, just because I think UWA, if you recall, had a lot of that, in their promotion, like the Headhunters, the Headhunters would join CMLL. Um, but you know, Silver King not only was he a exceptional tag team wrestler, and then he, obviously part of the trios with El Dandy and Tejano. But around this time in '94, '95, um, he had a '90 from '94 to about '96. He also was a very good singles wrestler. Um, had some really great matches with Apollo Dantes, 
Emilio Charles Jr. I think he had one with Miguel Perez Jr. Um, just a lot, a really tech great worker as, as a singles wrestler. Um, but Miguel, Pe the I think all of those matches are there's at least one match out of uh, out of those on YouTube. I think the I think the one that that I would definitely recommend is the Apollo Dantes match, and also I think the Emilio Charles Jr. one is also really good. But he was basically he became the Sumo World Heavyweight Champion as well. So, you know, there was, they thought of him highly enough where he was really one of the best workers at that point in Mexico. I would say from about 94 to, to 97, he was one of the, one of the top five workers in, um, in Mexico by that point. So he was really talented. Um, and, you know, un unfortunately, you know, as, as, as all things happen, you know, WCW came out calling, and you know they paid him well. I think that's the one thing you everybody will have to agree with. Um, CML paid well, and he ended up jumping with a lot of other guys from not just AAA but CMLL um, independent promotion. They all joined. Uh, they all joined WCW, and I think he spent about four or five years in, in WCW, where he was basically more of a. He was more. I guess you would call him a jobber, but you know he was a he was an undercard wrestler. Uh, enhancement talent or whatever you want to call them. Um, I don't know what the term would be now that, that they call them, but most people just call them jobbers um, because he basically lost all the time to like whoever, you know, he, his primary role was to be in, tri in Lucha Trios matches, um, wrestling against cruiserweights or losing to like somebody in, uh, uh, you know, who was a bigger star and, you know, but he, he was a very good worker. Um, I think that's the one thing you everybody would agree with with me about his time in WCW. He may have not been used properly, but you know, or never given a big opportunity. But he did get to. Um, he was still an excellent wrestler, and he showed it. He had a couple of great matches with um, Rey Mysterio. He actually said um, one of the one of his best one of his favorite matches, or one of the best matches, one of the matches he considers one of the best ones he's ever had, was a match against Rey Mysterio Jr. at the at the Astrodome. It was a Monday Nitro. I think it was in late 1998. Um, and it was only three minutes. It was like less less than four minutes, somewhere in the three, four minute mark. Um, but he said it was just an amazing match. Um, and, you know, of course, I'm sure it was because Rey Mysterio at that time was, that was really when he was at his peak. Just, and, you know, honestly, Rey Mysterio is still, he, he's one of those guys who defies, you know, he's still really good right now. Um, but, you know, he called that one of his best matches. So he was there for a few years. Like I said, mostly did what all the other luchadors did. Had, you know, trios matches, jobbed. Um, he did get one opportunity. Uh, oh, well, he got, actually got he got to join the LWO. But honestly, when Eddie Guerrero formed the LWO, but really it was, you know, he was just one of many Mexicans in that group. And once Eddie left and that, that group kind of just died out, then they kind of tried to put him in... Um, I'm trying to remember he was actually with Sonny Ono at one point, but I don't think he was. He might have been because Sonny Ono used to manage like Psychosis and La Parca. And, you know, when he wasn't managing Ultimo Dragon or Yuji Nagata, they'd give him at like one luchador or two luchadors. I don't remember if he was with them at one point. But then like towards the end of his run in WCW, right about a few months before he let, he was um he he was let go. He was managed. He was te he, they teamed him up with El Dandy and had. Stacy Keebler managed them um, as Los Fabulosos. And I thought that would have been a fun tag team. But like all things WCW, it pretty much went over, nowhere. Um, got forgotten rather quickly. And, you know, at that point, he moved on. Um, yeah, and, you know, then, you know, I think the amazing thing is, like, people don't realize, I think, what was that, like 2000? That would mean he was about 31, 32 years old at that point. So you're talking about somebody, you know, think about that. WWE guys get signed at that age now. And like he's getting rele released by by WCW. So you're, you you got to figure what's he going to do next? Well, he goes back and he um, he actually ends up rejoining CMLL in 2001. But before that, he actually r wrestled a tour with New Japan Pro Wrestling because at that point... Um, in 2001, by that point, um, Dr. Wagner Jr. had actually become a star in um, in Japan um, as a junior heavyweight. I think about I think Wag Dr. Wagner Jr. started 
wrestling in New Japan around 97, 96, 97. And he really kind of caught caught on rather quickly. And he became a star there uh, for the for that for the junior heavyweight division. So then they brought in Silver King. And they were really um they tag teamed a bit. Um, I think they wrestled a couple of times because they were New Japan had just started a, a junior heavyweight a junior tag title. So they they had them be a tag team. So they actually w- were there working that for a bit. And, you know, I think he was in that best of the super juniors that year. And then upon returning to CM um, to CMLL and also his second appearance run in um, New Japan later that year, he was re-gimmicked as um, Black, Ter- um, Black Tiger, the third version of the Black Tiger. Um, as you recall, the first one being Rollerball Rocco, followed by Eddie Guerrero. They wanted to bring back the character, so they brought brought it back with Silver Silver King. And Black Tiger would become a, a, a character, not just in New Japan, but also in CMLL. And in CMLL, what they did was they made it seem like he did not speak any Spanish. He claimed to be from Japan, did not speak. So he would do interview. They would want to interview him, so he'd pretend that he didn't understand um, Spanish. He only spoke Japanese. I think he spoke English, uh, which was also uh, was hilarious. But um, they did that for a bit, and he actually feuded with Doctor Wagner Jr. because in CMLL because he was a Black Tiger was brought in as a as a technical. So they even had a they even had a feud where um, they had a skit. It should be on on if it's not on YouTube, it's on Twitter and all these other places where um, they had a when they were feuding. Dr. Wagner Jr. was trying to point out that he wasn't afraid of any cats. So they do this skit where Dr. Wagner Jr. has a cat and he just tosses him out a window. Um, the t- the cat was not harmed, um, but it was part of the whole, the whole, it's, it's, it's a, it's a skit that everybody remembers from that era. Um, and so that kind of became his thing. And I think he was Black Tiger for a few years. They, they would feud and then they reunited when I think Black Tiger turned heel and teamed up with um. Dr. Wagner Jr. and Universo 2000 to win the the CML World Trios titles. Um, Wagner and Black Tiger would team up in in Japan, and they actually um, they had Black Tiger team up uh, join um, Masahiro Chono's Team 2000, and he actually got to team up with the the previous Black Tiger Eddie Guerrero. When Eddie Guerrero was in between having been um, fired from WWE, I think at that point, and working independent shows, and before he got rehired again by WWE, um, so that was you know, and that's one of those sad stories because there's another person that died from a uh, from heart failure. Um, you know, it's one of those. It's that's one of the sad things about um, remembering lucha or pro wrestling is that you know you go through all these names and you're like, oh, that guy's dead. This guy's dead. That guy's dead. Um, it's it's one of those yeah and you know it's not even like they're not it's not even that they're old it's like they're they they're died at a young age I think Eddie died at at forty I think and um, Black Tiger just died at the age of fifty one so I mean at, um, Silver King um, yeah so they he did that so then he was Black Tiger all the way up to two thousand five uh, I think he his last tour in um in New, for New Japan might have been like in two thousand two two thousand three. So he was already long gone from um, from from that promotion, and he was still using Black Tiger in in CMLL. When one one show suddenly, um, they were going to introduce a new wrestler named Bronco, and what happened was New Japan had decided they hadn't been using a Black Tiger, but they wanted to revive, re, re bring back the gimmick, and I think it might have been because they they had re, they had signed um, Tiger Mask. The one from uh, from Michinoku Pro, who's now the Tiger Mask of, of now in um, in New Japan. I think they had just signed him, and they wanted to bring back the uh, the character Black Tiger, and they gave it to Rocky Romero. So then, um, so then they, I guess they must have told CML they can't use the Black Tiger character. So then, Silver. So then CML decided rather than than just bring him back as Silver King, they decided to re-gimmick him as um, Bronco. And they debuted him in a match where they also debuted a guy who just had just left AAA. 
a guy who, you know, totally did not fit the CML style at that point, and and guys were did not want to work with him. And of course, that is Electroshock. He debuted as Electro, and the match was a total failure, a complete mess. Um, nobody wanted to work with um, Electroshock in the match. He, they were wrestling the girls like um, Del Infierno. They did not want to work with him. Um, it just was a horrible mistake. Bronco, the character, never really did anything. I think it ended up being like a lower, a, a, a mid, a middle, like in the fourth match character, and. You know, I think at that point he kind of decided he was kind of starting to like lose interest. He knew where his where he was in in CMLA and was contemplating, you know, whether or not to leave. But um, around that time, um, look what happened that he um, he he was asked um, he was told about a, a a a tryout or an audition or casting call, whatever you want to call it, for a new movie that was gonna that was gonna be about lucha libre. And of course, that ended up being Nacho Libre. Um, he ended up taking on the role of um, Ramses. He he was talking about how he actually did four casting calls or something cast, you know, with different with different people involved. Like I think, because I think they go through the first the process, first couple of processes. They go with a lot of people. Then afterwards, they they dwindle down the number of people that they have, and then finally, the the final one is pretty much the you know who's they locked in on a handful of people. And he was one of the last people that was there, and he ended up getting the car- the the role of Ramses, and you know he was in the movie. Um, the movie premiered in two thousand. I think it was in um, summer of two thousand six. Um, Jack Black played the the lead role of um, Nacho Ignacio um, in Nacho Libre. Um, you know, a lot of people. Some people liked the movie. Some people didn't like the movie. Um, but you know, honestly, Silver King used the. He actually wrestled as Ramses a few times, even on this, on this last trip of um, London trip, the tour with London. Um, he worked as Ramses that very day. Earlier in the day, he actually wrestled as Ramses. So he basically was wrestling. At one point, he was using the the Ramses character. I think he was still using the Black Tiger character on Independence, um, Bronco and CMLL, and he was still um, Silver King. So he basically at one point might have had four characters he was using. Um, so he films, he film, he goes and films the movie. I think it was two months in Oaxaca and returns. I think he returned to CML for a few shows as Bronco. And then he decides he leaves and on the independence, he decides he's going to drop the, ma- the black tiger mask, um, to LA park. Um, they ended up doing that match in his hometown of, um, in his home, you know, region of, El- of Torreon. Um, he lost the mask to Ali Parker. That match is definitely on. On you could find that online on YouTube. Um, but you know it was funny because right after that, um, he ended up joining AAA in two thousand eight. Um, he wrestled a bit as an independent prior to that. Um, I think he might have him and his brother Dr. Wagner Jr. might have promoted a few shows. I think they were running a lot um, shows as um, Wagner Mania or something like that. Um, I think there might have even been one show because I remember around that time also Cybernetico what might have promoted a show um, as Bizarros or something and it just like totally burnt. Um, it did not. It totally like flopped. It wasn't successful. Um, same thing with Silver King, Doctor Wagner Jr.'s promotion, um, because at that point I think around that from like two thousand five through two thousand eight, Doctor Wagner Jr. had this really crazy rabid following online. Right around the time the you know the internet started to grow in in Mexico. He had um he had this this fan following of the the Wagner Maniacos, um, Wagner Mania. There, there were even websites dedicated to his to him, and you know they they I think one of the guys who ran that one of those websites was one of the people that promoted the shows with um with them helped or helped in some form promote those shows, but um you know they they didn't really do that well. Um, he worked a lot of independent shows. Then he finally joined AAA and. In 2008, and what would he do in joining AAA? In 2008, he would go back to wearing his Silver King mask, um, and you know he had a. I think he was in in um, in AAA from 2008 to about 2014, because there's a lot of wrestlers that were in AAA during that early, like the the later years that you know talk about how he helped them tr- help train them and all this stuff. Um, so he was there for a while. Uh, for a extended period of time, and f- I mean, really, most of what the only thing was, I think that was kind of like 
I think by that point he was kind of like already showing his age in the ring. And honestly, it's AAA. A lot of the stuff they con- that run of AAA basically consisted of, you know, La Legión Extranjera being formed, La Legión Extranjera breaking up, a new Legión Extranjera being formed, then a bunch of other factions being formed, and then all these other factions being formed, joining forces in a new Legión Extranjera, only it wouldn't be called Legión Extranjera, it was called La Sociedad. They just kept going on and on and on with the same like faction groups nonstop. Um, hard, it, it's kind of like one of the most difficult things. It, it wasn't difficult to keep up just because you know you already knew that was what was going on in, in AAA. But then you also had... Um, you also had Silver King also going back and forth feuding with his brother, Dr. Wagner Jr. He'd sometimes feud with him. Sometimes he would team with him. Um, there was one triple mania where he almost cost him, where the, the storyline was that he was going to turn on him and cost him, try attempt to cost Dr. Wagner Jr. his mask. It was the one where he, um, he um, Dr. Wagner Jr. ended up winning and won um, Mascarano Dos Mil Jr.'s mask. Um you know, it just on and off. I think he teamed up briefly with um, Ultimo Gladiador, won the AAA World Tag Team titles. Later on, he actually had to change his name from Silver Kings to Silver Kane um, because AAA was on the outs with the whoever was the commissioner at that point in in Mexico City. So, so um, they they made a big deal about him wrestling again with his mask after he had lost his mask to um, to El Hijo del Santos several decades ago. A lot of people didn't even. Like, unless you really were a diehard fan, odds are you wouldn't have even known. Um, but, you know, I understand why they would do it. But then, like, then finally they kind of, like, they, you know, it kind of just went back and forth. The Like I said, AAA at that point, Silver King pretty much feuding with his brother, joining a new faction, leaving that faction, starting a new faction. Um, so he ended up leaving AAA in 2014. And, you know, by I think it was summer 2014. And, you know, by that point, he was ma- mainly just working independence. Um, he actually went back to promoting uh, in his home area of um, Torreon. Uh, not a lot. I don't think it was a lot of shows, just like a couple of shows every so often. Um, mostly like his brother would headline. Uh, he and his brother would headline. He'd work shows. I think he worked a couple of the IWRG shows, um, MDA, um, any, of, any of the bigger known um independent promotions he would usually pop up for one of those shows but you know he wasn't doing as much as um as he was in the past um and working the london shows with um hijo del santo um hijo del santo actually thought highly of um silver king to the point where he actually had um silver king work with um his son when his son first started out although santo jr i don't even know if he's still like nobody even knows if he's still around wrestling just because he's you don't really hear his name that often um but you know he's he um he thought highly of Silver King, um, you know. After his passing, so many wrestlers like talked about you know what a nice guy he was and how much he tried to help them out during the when they were there, when when they when they would travel to Mexico or you know even like when he was in WCW. So many guys, Eric Bischoff talked to, um, you know, sent his condolences. Jack Black, um, Chris Jericho, William Regal, um, so many people, um, you know. You know, a lot of the luchadors from CMLL, AAA, the independents, a lot of the guys were, were very, were very, um, you know, were sending condolences. Um, you know, it's, you know, he he had a really great career. Um, he died way too young. 51 is way too young to die. Um, unfortunately, I think that's, you know, once that's sort of the age where you have to really take care of yourself, you know, go to the doctor, get your heart checked. You know, whatever you can to like survive or you know stick around a little longer. Um, I don't know if Silver King. I I know he had one son that was in wrestling. Um, he had other wrestlers that used some of his trainee trainees would um wrestle under the Silver King name, but I think his son is the one that um, definitely wrestles under the name now. Um, there might be others. I don't know. But it's I, I it's it's one of those things, you know. It's it's unfortunate that a lot of wrestlers don't really keep, you know, take care of their names properly. We saw with the Dinamitas to the point where, you know, the the junior the 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 new Dinamitas pretty much don't decided they didn't want to use their dads their family names. They're they're starting their own character, you know, their their careers with you know these new names of Sansón Cuatrero, Forastero. You know, you kind of wish these guys were would take care of their names a little better, but you know. 
making money is part of the you know it's part of the you know that's the point of the of being in business uh, but you know I do think that I do think it's pretty um I kind of wish this I kind of wish that this was something that um, I kind of wish this was a podcast that we could have just been talking about his career and not talking about the tragedy of his death or anything like that because you know I know when I do the Lucha Classica podcast we talk about like the you know guys careers um, and it's like I think there's a big difference when you're talking about somebody who's living or somebody who has passed away you know over the several years where you're basically just reminiscing about his career um, compared to what it is now where you you, you do you have to talk about somebody right after they passed away and you know it's it's a little bit it's a little bit bit tougher um yeah that's all about that's about it for this week's um podcast i was going to talk about um a few other things but i think i think it's better that i talk about that at a later at a later time um if this podcast seems like it's it, it got posted a little sooner it isn't it actually it may be it, it, it is but um the one i did previously we did in las vegas and that was actually like, I think I posted it a week after I had done it. So um, really it was there. It's more of a two weeks in between podcasts, although I did post it a week earlier. Um, so listen to the previous podcast. If you want to just hear about the latest Lucha Libre news, the next podcast will be about, um, I think I'll, I'll go, I'll get back to some of the news. Um, but like I said, I think, I think this, this, I just want to do a podcast remembering Silver King. And uh, because so many people kind of like, you know, we kind of, we kind of, we're probably going to be thinking about the what happened, the the tragedy that happened. But you know, it's important to remember the guys, you know, during the good times when they were when they were wrestling, and you know, that's. I hope everybody enjoyed this podcast, and because that's really what I wanted to do was just have people remember the the good times, and you know, not focus so much on the on on you know on his passing. You know, just remember him, basically. Um, so that's about it for this week. Uh, we'll, be, we'll be back again soon. Um, and like I said, more Lucha Libre news. Hopefully nothing, there's less, there's nothing. And you know, it's weird because the previous, um, while I was in Vegas, I was thinking, you know, I haven't written in a bit. I hadn't done anything like that in a few months. So I was like, you know, this is, this is pretty, um, it's a pretty calm time. Um, and then this happens and it's like, it's pretty, it was pretty rough. But you know, like I said, I think the most important thing is just to remember the the wrestler. I mean, and wish the wish the family, you know, a speedy recovery, and you know, con- send them their con- the condol your condolences during this difficult time, because you know it's 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 this is always very difficult for a family. And you know, hopefully, you know, if if there is a, an afterlife, I hope Silver King is you know back reminiscing and hanging out with Tejano and all those guys. So. This has been um, the Lucha World Podcast. Uh, We'll be back again soon. So long.